All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. It is good to be back here with you all this morning. Uh, I, missed, I missed being here last week. Uh, it was our first time in, what, 10 months uh, or since August, last August, of not being here on a Sunday morning. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to do that again, honestly, um, because first of all, I missed you all. Second of all, the guy that I left to preach kind of abused me, made fun of my beard, um, and uh, so I'm not sure that that's going to happen again. Your leash just got shorter, my friend, all right? Shorter. Oh, there it is. I didn't even say that, shorter. All right. There we go. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Now, Daniel did a great job last week. I uh, really appreciated his message uh, on marriage and how that is, you know, that was one of the specific relationships that we're going to be, that we talked about with this whole idea of, of war, winning at relationships. Um, and, and so he did a great job. We're going to continue that series this morning because uh, it's, it's just a truth. It's a matter of truth that relationships are difficult, right? Dealing, dealing with people are difficult, and it gets complicated, and, and anytime you deal with somebody, you know, feelings are up in the air, and they, they're, they're, they can be hurt, right? Um, that's always a possibility, um, and if we get hurt feelings, then all of a sudden we're ready to retaliate, and then more feelings are hurt, and when, then we assign blame, and we assign intent to people when we don't know really what they were thinking or what the, the whole thing was there, um, and then all of a sudden commenting on the similarities between someone's height and a biblical character, the height of a biblical character, it leads to us not being able to be friends anymore, Daniel, all right? <laughs> so that happens, right? Relationships are difficult, all right? Relationships are difficult. Dealing with people can be difficult. And so that's why we want to we wanna talk about that in this series. Um, and that's why we focused the first week of this series on the armor of God. We looked at that in the context of, you know what, God has given this armor, and we listed all those things. We talked about each piece of, the, of that armor. And, and really, he has given us that armor, and, he, and Paul writes, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes that this is an armor that we need for relationships. When we enter into battle, when we enter into the war zone that is interpersonal relationships, we can be clothed with this armor because it is a battle zone, and it is a spiritual battle um, that is happening on there, and it's a battle that has existed since pretty much day one, right? Since day one, this has been a battle for people and their relationships and, and, the, and the whole thing there. And it's, it's like Daniel talked about, you know, last week. Marriage, if, if the enemy can attack a marriage, and, and a, especially a marriage within the church, if the enemy can whisper the lies in there and all of a sudden he's attacked that and he's broken up that marriage and all of a sudden he's weakened the church as a whole and then he's weakened our relationships between Jesus and, and between our, our relationships and God and it just, it, it just kind of it crumbles from there. And so we realize that relationships are at the core of what God wants for us in our life. And I don't want to stand around and watch that happen. So we decided that with this series, we're going to war, um, and we're going to take that on head on. So we're going to take on relationships and the difficulty that comes with all of them um, head on. We're not going to be bashful about it, and I hope in the course of this series that you don't get your toes stepped on. Um, but personally, I found when my toes get stepped on, I had my foot out somewhere probably where it shouldn't have been, right? Uh, and so I need to focus on that and, and look at that area of my life and what's going on there. So this morning, we're going to keep on going. We're sticking to Ephesians in this whole series, um, and we're not really going in the order of the relationships that Paul talks about, but we're going to go uh, to Ephesians chapter 6, 
And this is the last thing that Paul talks about before he jumps into the armor of God, okay? So, so Ephesians chapter 6, and he says this. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he is both their master and yours and he is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So Paul is addressing the relationship between slaves and masters, right? Um, and that might be a little bit of a strange relationship for us to look at this morning in our current culture because we understand, well, I hope that none of us are in, in one of those roles. I hope that none of you are slaves or none of you are, are owners of slaves or masters of slaves. Um, if you are, then we need to have a conversation, right? I think that would be appropriate for us to have that conversation. Um, and so it's a little bit of a weird relationship for us to look at as we, as we look at this scripture. Um, but there is definitely some application for us in our lives that we can, we can look at. The, but, but first, we have to understand the context that Paul is writing this in, all right? So in order for us to understand what application it has for us, we have to understand what it actually meant in the context of the slavery that Paul is talking about, all right? So what we know about Greco-Roman culture and what we know about the, the Roman culture is that slavery was pretty much a reality that nobody questioned. It was just kind of there, right? It, it was a part of life that everybody understood and everybody expected. It was believed in the Roman culture in a lot of places. It was believed that there was only freedom for some people because other people were enslaved. And, that, and so the Roman culture, they just kind of took it as a natural, you know what, this isn't evil. This is just kind of a thing that we have to do. Um, this is a necessity for life in that sense. Um, slaves were pretty much used in absolutely every single area of life. They were a part of the fabric of the economy. Um, across the Roman Empire, I read one statistic that suggested that across the Roman Empire, one in five, one in every five people was a slave. That's 20% of the population of the Roman Empire. That's a, that's a lot of people. And then as you get to the center, uh, more the center of the Roman Empire, in Italy, one in three. That's a third of the population that is a slave, right? So it's not surprising then that Paul is writing to a church or a group of churches in a Roman province in Ephesus in a city, and he, and he addresses this issue of slaves and masters because it's a reality in their world. If one-third or if even 20%, one in five of people in this, in this area are going to be slaves, for him to address that, or slave masters, it just makes sense for him to address it because it's going to be a reality for some of the people that he is uh, addressing there, right? And slaves, as we understand it in, in the Roman culture, slaves were acquired by all kinds of means, okay? Most, most of them were actually put into slavery because the Roman army expanded, and as they expanded, they conquered people, and those conquered peoples then became slaves, right? If you resisted, then you were made a slave in that way. And so you had all kinds of, uh, of different slaves. So that was one way. Another way, it was, it was a pretty common practice, actually. If you had a debt that you could not pay off, 
that you could sell yourself into slavery, that you could put yourself into the, the servitude of the person who you owed. And, and a lot of people did that. And, and that could be for a set period of time. You know what? We're going to agree that I owe you this debt. I can't pay it, so I'm going to be your servant for this long. Or that could be until the debt is paid off, which is pretty much forever, because if you're a servant, you're not earning any money, and therefore you're not going to ever be able to pay it off unless somebody else steps in and pays that, that debt for you. So that was another way that people entered into servitude or in, entered into slavery. And when you think about it, right, when you understand slavery in this term, and we also, uh, let me back up, we also understand that some slaves, or we understand that some servants actually chose to be in that life, okay? Because they could depend on their masters for their housing and for their meet, meeting all their needs and things like that. So it's a little bit of a different understanding of the slavery that we understand, or that we, uh, or that we have experienced in the past uh, couple of centuries here in the U.S. So you had all kinds of people that found themselves in this situation. It wasn't necessarily the lowest of the low or the poorest of the poor. It was sometimes, but it wasn't always. Sometimes you had accountants, you had uh, treasurers, you had doctors, you had house servants, you had teachers, you had slaves within the military, all those things, right? People across the board. So it was all nations, it was all colors, it was all... Level, all across all levels of, of economic standing, people found themselves as slaves. They were bonded in servitude to other people, which is a little bit different than our understanding of slavery in this country, right? Because when you look at slavery in, in this country, in the United States, it was pretty much based on race, okay? It was based on nationality. And it was based on the idea that, that somehow some people from a different part of the, of the world were less human, and so they could be treated as less human than other people, or they could be treated as not equally human. And so they, they were forced to do things that, that, uh, that other people didn't want to do, right? And so that was our understanding, or that was this understanding of slavery. And the belief was that pretty much if you were not European white, then you were made to serve the European white. That was kind of the understanding that way. But that's not the case. It's not the case in Rome. It wasn't a matter of prejudice in Rome that led to slavery. Most of the time, it was a matter of economics that led to servants or, or, or slavery in that way. Now, that doesn't make it any more fun, any more of a fun condition for people to find themselves in, to be slaves or to be servants in that way. Um, but it does take on a little bit of a different view. It does change the, the worldview that we, we view this in. Inequality and power and inequality and freedom was just a part of everybody's worldview. Even the slaves understood it. This was just kind of the way this was. And it's in that context that Paul is writing to this group in Ephesians, this, this Ephesus, this Roman city, and it has a Roman understanding. He's writing to a whole region of people where one in five people, 20% are going to find themselves as slaves. And that also means that some other people are going to be found as they're going to be masters of slaves, right? And so you've got these people who are going to find themselves in this situation. So for Paul to address this as a reality, it's just natural, right? It's just natural for Paul to talk about this. And it is interesting to stop and recognize that Paul doesn't condemn it. He doesn't say... Masters, set your, your slaves free. He doesn't say slaves run away and find freedom in all, in all scenarios, right, in whatever you, way you can. He doesn't say that. And there's a lot of people who in the past have used that to say, you know what, well, then that must mean that slavery is okay. Our understanding of slavery is okay. Well, that's just dumb. All right, we're not going to recognize that. We're not going to even, even acknowledge that part. 
because this was a system that was not based on prejudice. Or this was a system that was based on, on economics for the most part. So Paul doesn't condemn it, but you know what he does do? He doesn't condemn this, but he does address the relationship between masters and slaves. It is a significant thing enough in his world, in their world, to address how these people are going to relate to each other, how these people are going to treat each other, because slavery was a given. Even though it was different than we understand it, it was just kind of a given in that way. It was a reality. And the reality of it meant that slaves and masters were in a working relationship. All right? Slaves, servants worked for their masters. They did jobs for their masters. So we're going to stretch it a little bit this morning. It's not very far stretch. Uh, we're going to stretch it a little bit, and we're going to talk about work relationships this morning. And we're going to talk about what it means to, to work for somebody, to be an employee or an employer, okay? So uh, what, what does it mean when you're the boss, and what does it mean when you're not the boss? Because I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from this about what it means to be a believer in work, right? To have a job as a believer, so we're going to talk about work relationships this morning, uh, and, and my three points are this, okay? Putting them out there up front, three points are this. They're the boss, you're the boss, God's the boss, all right? Those are the three points, all right? So the first point is this, they're the boss, which means you're not the boss, right? That somebody else has supervision, has authority over you in your workplace, you're the employee. What does Ephesians 5 have to say about that? Well, verse 5 starts off with, Slaves, obey your masters. Well, you're not a slave, I hope. It might feel like it sometimes. It might feel like you have a slave, a master who is driving you in that way. But listen, you're not a slave, but it says, obey your masters. You're not the boss. Obey the boss, right? You're not the employer. Obey the employer. Obey those in authority over you. If you are an employee, it means that you were hired to do a job. You made an agreement that you were going to do this job, and they would then pay you. For that job, right? So do the job that you agreed that you would do. Fulfill the responsibility that's asked of you. And it's different for us when we look at what Paul is writing because we get paid for it, right? And Paul is writing, he says, obey your masters. They don't even get paid, but obey them, right? In that situation, we get paid. How much more than should we say, you know what? They're paying me money to do this job that I agreed to do. I should probably do the job that I agreed to do. I should fulfill the responsibilities that I said that I would fulfill in that way. You do the work, and they give you the money, right? It's not you do the work sometimes, and they give you the money. It should be uh, I'm agreeing to fulfill the responsibility that I said I'm going to do, so I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do, and then they will pay me for my work. It says, obey your masters. Do what you're asked. When you take a job, you agree to work for somebody. You're agreeing to do the work. Do whatever they ask you to do, right? Now, there are situations where you can say, yeah, but they're asking me to do something that's not ethical. Uh, my wife had one of those situations, and she chose to quit because she was at being asked to do something that wasn't ethical in that, in that scenario. And so she said, you know what? I'm going to back out of that. I'm not going to be a part of that because that's not right. Right? Or if you might be in a situation where they're asking you to do something that's beyond what you've agreed to do or whatever, have a conversation with your boss. But up to the responsibilities that you've agreed to, do it. Fulfill, the, fulfill what you've said you're going to do. And if you don't do your job, there's going to be a conflict, right? Because if you've got a good boss, they're going to have a problem with you not doing your job because it's their job to make sure that you're doing your job. It's the way it is. 
So obey those in authority over you in the workplace, but only if you agree with how they want you to do it. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> if you think you got a better way, have a conversation with your, with your boss, your supervisor about that. But if they still want you to do it the other way, then you do it the other way because they're the boss. They're the authority in that position. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What would happen in your workplace, in your work life, if you viewed those in authority over you at work? What would happen if you viewed those people as an authority that has been established by God? That might change the way we view our bosses, right? That might change the way we view our supervisors. How would it change the way you interact, the way you respect, the way you obey their authority in that situation? I think it could make quite a bit of difference. Because Paul writes, obey your boss. But he doesn't say, do it begrudgingly. He doesn't say, do it if you feel like it. He says, obey them and do it with respect and do it with sincerity of heart. Do it out of sincerity. Sincerely respect them. Not a fake respect. Not a, okay, I guess I got to do this. But he says, do it out of sincerity of heart. Can you get to the place even with a boss who you feel like doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't know what they're talking about, can you get to a place in your work life where it says, you know what, I'm going to respect them even if they don't deserve it? With sincerity. I think it can be difficult. I think one of my most trying experiences um, of having somebody, of being under the authority of somebody, was when I was working for the Richmond, uh, Richmond Department of, of recreation. What is the name? Richmond Parks and Rec. We'll say that. Okay. Um, so I was working for Richmond Parks and Rec one summer for two months. Uh, I had found out about a position as their, their summer camp program. Um, and so I had applied and I found out a little bit late and uh, it was the, the director position was already filled. So they, they put me in the assistant director position. Um, now, I was 30 years old at this point, so I was older than most of the app job applicants uh, for that, but I just needed a summer position. And uh, so I was 30 years old, and I had just come off of a five-year full-time camp experience, right? I was an assistant director for full-time at a camp. And, and before that, I was involved for five, five full summers as camp and other... So, so 10 years of experience, all right? 10 years of camp experience. Um, 30 years old. My major is recreation, park administration. It kind of fits, right? Uh, and I met my, my supervisor, my boss, for the first time, and she was 21 and was a, an education major, okay, which kind of fit. It was first through sixth grade camp, so it kind of fit, but in the course of our first conversation about how camp was going to go and what we were going to do and all this stuff, I found out she had never set a single foot, been in, in camp a single day in her life. And here I am, a 30-year-old with 10 years of experience of camp. All of a sudden, my supervisor is a 21-year-old who has never been at camp in her life. And I have to humble myself and bite my tongue. I almost didn't have a tongue left at the end of the summer. Bite my tongue and respect the decisions she was making. Even though in my head, there were times when I was like, wait, you told a parent What? We're going to, wait, well, we're going to do what? Why are, that's, oh, that's a terrible plan. Hey, let's talk about that, okay? 
but I had to respect her. I had to respect the authority there, and that was difficult. Man, that was difficult. Um, and it was only for two months. My wife said it wasn't that bad. It was bad, okay? Um, I'm a man. I can complain. We do it. Um, all right. Um, but Paul, that's exactly what Paul is talking about here, right? It's like whether you, whether you feel like they deserve the respect or whether you feel like they deserve the position they got. Uh, I just, it just occurred to me that I started watching The Office again last night. Uh, and my, most of those employees don't feel like Michael Scott uh, deserves their respect, right? Respect Michael Scott. That's what it says. Whether you feel like they deserve it or not, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.18. He's, again, he's addressing slaves and masters, but he says, Slaves... In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Even if they don't deserve it, right? Even if they don't deserve it. So not just when you have a boss that deserves it, in your opinion, um, but whatever the situation you find yourself in, if, if it's one you can't change, respect the one who is in authority in that situation. And Paul says when you serve or when you work in this case, do it wholeheartedly. Do it wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Whatever job you're doing, do it like you're working for the perfect boss. Work as if you were working for God himself. You think that would change the level of your effort or your coworkers' effort if we all acted and, and performed like we were working for God himself in those jobs? And I can guarantee you, if you approach that way, uh, if you approach life that way, you're going to get noticed because the bar for, for uh, the expectation for, for work effort and experience and quality of work is pretty low these days, right? And if you just do your job, people are going to notice you. I had, a work, I had a situation where I was working in a factory and we were putting together uh, struts for Ford uh, F-150s, right? So it was my job to look at the computer screen and tell me what I was supposed to grab. I was on a conveyor. There was a conveyor belt. I grabbed the strut. I put it on. I turned around. I grabbed the right springs. I put them on. I grabbed the isolator cap. I put it on. And the, conveyor, the whole time the conveyor belt was moving down. And there were two press operators, right? So one, one person loading the line, two people operating the presses that would then put that assembly in the machine. It would compress it, put a nut on it. And then there was one guy on the box who mostly stood like this. And then he'd grab one and put it in the box. And then he'd stand like this again. And then he grabbed one and he put it in the box. And he had all kinds of time in the world to just sit there and wait. Meanwhile, me being my first week on the job, I'm running around like crazy because if you let the line get empty, the press operators let you know about it, right? And, and so I'm, trying, I'm running around like crazy trying to keep this thing full. I'm looking up, grabbing the parts, putting the right parts on. And, and not only did I have to put, fill the conveyor belt, I also had to, what I understood was I had to fill my, my spring rack. Right? I had to keep that full so that when I turned around, I didn't have an empty rack and then all that stuff. So I had to run around the other side of the rack, grab the right springs, load this chute uh, with, with all these different springs. And it was kind of crazy, right? And I noticed at one point, it was probably my third day, I was doing all this and I was keeping up, man. I was killing it. And I would run around the back and I would do this thing and I'd fill my, fill my, my, my rack and all this stuff. And I kind of, as I was turning around, I noticed my supervisor was back there. But he had gone to a, another line and grabbed another supervisor, and they were just standing there like this, and they were just watching me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm doing something wrong. I was, I was panicking, right? They were just watching me because I was doing my job. 
Actually, I was doing more than my job because the guy that was standing there like this was actually supposed to be the one that was loading the spring rack, right? So I was, I was killing myself trying to keep up, so I was doing more than my job, right? But these guys were impressed enough that they went and grabbed somebody else off their line, another supervisor, to go see that I, that I could keep up at this pace. Now, I probably couldn't have kept up that pace very long, but I was at that point, right? If you do your job, if you do the job that you agreed to, people are going to notice, right? Work as though you are working for the Lord. And maybe even do more. But hopefully not because somebody's hazing you because it's your first week. So um, uh, obey your employer, right? Obey your employer. Do the week that you agreed, or do the work that you agreed to do. Respect those who are in authority over you, whether you feel like they deserve it or not. And if you're asked to do more than you, you've agreed to do, or if you're asked to do something that's not ethical, or, you a, or you're asked uh, to do something that's immoral, or whatever you feel uncomfortable with the situation, the reality is Paul's writing to slaves. We're not slaves. We have the option of going, you know what? I'm going to find another place to work. If you can't do it, if you can't fulfill your duties in that situation, we have the freedom to say, you know what? I'm going to go work for this employer instead. That's the major difference between Paul, what Paul's talking about with the slaves and with us. We have the freedom as an employee. What about if you find yourself in the opposite position? What if, what if, you're, what if they're not the boss? What if you're the boss? What does Ephesians have to say about that? So point number two is this. You're the boss, all right? Because Paul has some things to say to the masters, too. It's pretty much the same thing because Paul writes this in verse 9. He writes all this other stuff to slaves, and then in verse 9 he says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Okay? Treat your slaves in the same way. Treat your employees in the same way. That is with respect, right? Respect your employees. Respect the people you supervise as, as people, right? So supervisors in the room, bosses in the room, listen up. This is for you. Treat them as people. They're not just a cog in the wheel. They're not just a means to an end in that way. Your job, in my opinion, your job as a supervisor it's to not just get the work done. Your job as a supervisor is to equip the people under your care to succeed. That's your job. That means training and educating. That means creating a work environment that is healthy, that is pleasant, that, me, that, is, that is maybe it's competitive, but it's not so competitive that people are taking out each other's legs out from under them. It's not backbiting. It's not cutthroat. It's a place that's rewarding to work. Look at Romans 13 again. All right, let's read, that. let's read Romans 13, 1 again, but this time read it from not the person who is under, underneath the authority, but the person who is the authority. Romans 13 says, let, every, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What if you saw your position in the workplace as a position of authority where God put you. And not put you to rule over your employees, not put you to demand that they do better, but put you in that position to care for the people that you're supervising. Does that describe the work environment that you experience? Probably not, right? But what if you did that? What if you did that? What if as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you cared for the people that have been placed under your authority in that company? 
Not just caring for the work uh, and the bottom line, but actually caring for the individuals, caring for the people, caring for the person that you supervise. I think it could revolutionize your company, and I think it would start with you. And I think you'd have a lot of people that want to work for you. And First Peter, Peter's talking again. This is at the end of, of, of the letter. It's in chapter 5. Peter's writing to the elders of the church. <coughs> so he says, God's flock. He, say, he said, talks about being God's flock or taking care of the flock. But what if we read that differently? What if we read it as your employees? All right, so let's read it first as it is. It says, 1 Peter 5, 2 to 4, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not loading it over them, uh, not loading over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. All right. Let's read it with employees or your employees instead. Be shepherds of your employees that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager, eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to your employees. And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I think that would change the atmosphere of your business. I think that would change the way your employees respond to you. Absolutely. Absolutely it would. That's the boss that I want to work for. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's companies out there who operate this way, that care for their employees. Google is one of them, all right? Google probably has its downfalls. But, but I, was, I was reading a little bit about Google um, I would encourage you to take some time and do some research about the benefits about the way they care for their employees. Google receives roughly 3 million job applications a year, most of them unsolicited, right? People want to work for Google, and it's not just because they pay well. Google has on-site physicians, nurses, medical services for their employees. They have on-site health centers and gyms. They offer 22-week maternity leave and on-site child care facilities. If a Google employee passes away, listen to this. If a Google employee passes away, his or her domestic partner or spouse receives a check for 50% of the employee's salary every year for 10 years after that employee passes away. And children of deceased employees receive $1,000 per month from Google until they reach the age of 19 or if they're going to college, 23. People want to work for Google because they're cared for. Google has a global education leave program which enables employees to take a leave of absence to pursue further education, and Google pays for it, and they pay for the education. You can bring your pet to work with you. That's nice for some people, right? They have on-site cafes, not cafeterias, on-site cafes where you can get meals during the day where you can get snacks and it's not a little granola bar. It's like a full-on chef meal that's prepared for you. I know those are all material things, right? And I doubt if you are a supervisor, if you have the ability to offer that to your people. That's a company. That's a, that's a, a company top-down kind of a thing. But what could you do in your company? What could you do for your employees to let them know that you care about them? What could you do to offer, to, 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 to be, to show that you care about the whole person and not just the end product? 
What if you remembered their birthday? What if you brought them breakfast one morning just because you wanted to, just because you cared about them and you wanted to surprise them with something fun? What if you would clean the employee bathroom because you wanted them to have a clean facility? And Paul says when he's talking to the slaves, he says, don't just do this. And so he says it to the masters as well. Don't just do this so that they see you and you can gain their favor, though you will gain their favor. <clears throat> he says, do it out of sincerity of heart. Actually care for the people that are there that you're in authority over in that work environment. When you look at job satisfaction statistics, most people would say that pay or salary is like the biggest the biggest thing that's the biggest motivating factor that keeps people around, that keeps employees happy, but that's not true. Study after study after study shows that feeling appreciated and cared for is what keeps employees happy and what motivates people to invest in their company and be in their company. It's the reason that factories that offer $30 and $40 an hour can't keep employees because those employees are just a cog in the wheel, right? They're just, they're just a means to an end. People want to know that they matter. They want to know that their work matters and that it's important. And as somebody that's, that's in a position of authority, that's somebody that, that has some influence within the company, or even if, you're, if you don't have authority, you still have influence, <clears throat> we got to consider our witness within the workplace as we lead employees or as we interact with coworkers or even our bosses. Because the last thing that Paul says here when he's, when he's writing to the masters, he says that you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with them. Ultimately, Paul is saying this. He like, says, you might be a boss, you might not be a boss, but you got to understand, you can't, you can't forget that God is the boss. God is the ultimate boss, right? God is the boss. So what I understand Paul to be saying here is that in your work, do not lose sight of the fact of the real work that we're doing. If you're building car parts, you're not just building car parts. You've got kingdom work to be doing while you build car parts. And maybe that can only happen on break time. Maybe that can happen through a text after you get off. But the real work is the kingdom of God. Take those opportunities, whether you're an employee or a supervisor, whether you're a master or a slave, and be Jesus in the environment wherever you find yourself. Your workplace is a mission field. Probably the, the mission field where you spend the most time, even if you've got a family at home, you probably spend more time at work than you do with your family. That's the reality of, of our culture, right? It's a mission field, and we're working for the master. We're working for our father. Ultimately, God is our master. God is the boss. And it feels a little bit icky to say it that way. I get it, because then we're kind of saying, well, if God's the master, then we're the slave and all that, right? But it, we understand that it's more than that, because God is our father, and he loves us beyond that. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He says, I no longer call you servant because a servant doesn't know the master's business. What's his business? What has is, what is Jesus made known to us? He's made known that God died for a relationship with you. That's his business. That's what he's made known to us, that he loved you so much that he loved every single person in your workplace so much that he died for them. That his love for your coworker that you can't stand, that his love for your boss that's quite frankly a jerk, 
for your employees who couldn't do what you asked them to do if their life depended on it. He loved them so much. Those people that you work with, he loved them so much that he died for them. He took the, the penalty on himself. He died a criminal's death even though he was innocent. And he did it for them too, not just you. He took their place on the cross. He took their sin and their punishment on himself just because he loves them and just because he wants a relationship with them. And then, and then he put you in that environment with them. Whether you're an employee, whether you're their boss, whether you're a coworker, he put you there with them so that they would know about it. In all things, we have to know that ultimately our work is for the kingdom of God. And I don't care what your position is. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got incredible news to share. And you get to bring that into work with you. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not so that your good deeds can improve your, your position with the Father, but so that other people can see your good deeds and glorify your Father and come to relationship with your Father in heaven. And you can do that in the workplace. And you won't get fired for it. I mean, if you do it the right way, right? You might get fired. But maybe that's the price we pay for the work of the kingdom, for the ultimate work, right? This is my friend Tori. Put that picture up there. <laughs> this is my friend Tori. He works at Toyota. Uh, he's got, he's probably the goofiest guy I know. He's also probably one of the most sincere guys I know. Um, he's got big gauges in his ears. He got that ugly nose ring. I love you, Tori because you're going to listen to this. Um, he listens to metal, uh, and he loves Jesus. Look at his shirt. That's his official work shirt, his Toyota shirt, and that's his official name badge. Tori talks about Jesus, invites people to church so much that they call him church. I don't know if people really know his real name. They call him church. That's his name at work. His family is responsible for bringing more people to church than, anybody, than any other family that I know because they live authentic and they live transparent lives and they aren't perfect and they don't claim to be, but they will talk to anybody about Jesus and about what he's done in their life. He doesn't care who. They don't care who. Every single day, we have the opportunity to represent Jesus and to be Jesus in our workplace. And it doesn't have to be a blatant, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It doesn't have to be that blatant, right? That will probably get you fired. This is a war, right? This is a war for people's souls. And relationships within the workplace are a primary battleground. The ground... There, excuse me, there's ground to be gained for the kingdom of God within your, within your workplace. You get to interact with people from all kinds of different backgrounds, and you get to do it in the name of Jesus. Let your light shine at work so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And there's plenty of room at work to be offended. There's plenty of work, room to be hurt. Or there's plenty of room uh, to spread gossip or to perpetuate rumor, and the enemy would love that. The enemy would love it if that's because of you or if that's about you, but that's because there's plenty of territory to gain for the kingdom of God at work. 
And you can do it just by your attitude. You can do it just by doing your job. And then when people ask you about it, you get to say it's Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done in my life. You can do it by being a trustworthy employee or be being, by being a coworker or a boss who cares for the people that you get to interact with. And then we give credit to the Father. Why don't we stand on up to our feet? As the prayer team comes forward, I get it. We don't always like work. Some of us love our jobs. Some of us, we would rather be at our, at our job than on vacation, right? There are people like that. I don't understand you people. But there are people like that, okay? They would rather be working than to be off having a good time, having a good vacation. And it's because they, they love what they do. They love the people they're around. So maybe I'm not talking to you. But what if... You're not one of those people. What if work is a difficult thing for you? What if work relationships are a difficult thing for you? Is there somebody that comes to mind that says, you know what? That relationship's not great between me and that person, between me and my boss. And you'd love some prayer. These people want to pray with you. You'd love some prayer to ask God to help intervene in that situation and show you what you need to do. Not how to fix the other person, but show you what you need to do. Ask God to fix what's in you in that situation. Is there somebody on your heart that God keeps bringing up who needs to know that God cares about them or who needs to know that somebody else cares about them and cares about what's going on at work or cares about what's going on at home in their life? Maybe work performance has dropped. There's probably something else going on in life. You ask about it? They need to know that people care. Maybe you need some prayer for those kind of things. Maybe you need some prayer on how to navigate conflict or how to, to, to better shepherd the people that God has put under your care. Maybe that's a new concept and you just need some, some guidance on that. Listen, we want to pray for you. So we're going to go into another couple of songs. And, uh, and you've got the opportunity to do that at any point. Come on up. Don't be bashful. These people will be here for the first song and then they'll be in the back for the second song, all right? And, and you can move at any point during that. So please do. Hey, this is Pastor Justin from Capital Vineyard Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thanks for listening to our weekly message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at capitalvineyard.org or on social media at, at Cap Vineyard. Thanks for listening and God bless.